Hello. Hello. Why did you say it like that? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Uh, that Terry Crews. Like Cruz? a sex call or something. Yeah. Hello. You've called. I was gonna say nine one one. That's not the right number. <laughs> <laughs> it still works. Thanks. Yeah. It's, yeah, you could almost say that with anything. No, I mean. Would you like fries with that? <laughs> <laughs> I meant the emergency number. Oh. But the, the voice, yeah. Do you think that would calm people down if they called the emergency and they were like nine one one? What's your emergency? I think they'd feel awkwardly aroused. Yeah, they'd be confused. <laughs> I feel like I'm in danger, but I'm turned on. <laughs> <laughs> My arm's broken and painful. <laughs> <laughs> but I like your voice, lady. <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> I forgot about all of my problems. <laughs> we should pitch that. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> Interesting start. Um, so this, this is actually a bit of a spontaneous one. And I'm going to start it by talking about the other morning. I came out, Chaz was already awake. He was well into his morning routine. And I was just groggily waking what a up. Boss. <laughs> who said that? I don't, I don't know who said that. <laughs> and uh, I come out to the computer and I'm looking. The first words I see are divorce. Yeah, I'm researching. It was just like divorce. And I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) It's not a good sign. (laughs) If that's an omen. (laughs) I I turned to Jazz and I was just... I pulled a sad face at first. And then I was like, do you have something to tell me? (laughs) (laughs) I quickly shut my laptop, run away. Nothing, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's for research purposes. I, uh, I... you know what? It's a good sign to me you're in a secure relationship when I can I can come out and I can look at that, see you on the computer and genuinely feel like that's not a concern. Like I there was no part of me that was actually panicked. It was all for the joke. But that's a really good sign. Like you have like a, you know, security. I'm not scared you're going to leave me kind of thing. Yeah, I guess the other good sign is I didn't even think about that even being an issue. That is also, like, you're not hiding it from me, yeah. <laughs> she can't, no, I'm looking at divorces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny how you, like, some people have a veil over, like, you get caught, like, researching something and you're like, I don't want to be caught typing in this topic. Mm. Uh, yeah, the untouchable topics. No, it's definitely like I'm, I'm writing away in my book. And um, it's a... Well, for starters, he's writing a book. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm well well into it now. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty, like, in some sense, a bleak chapter compared to some of the other chapters. Well, it's bleak so far. Um, I'm, I'm like, you know, every, every time I kind of turn it on its head and then be like, but here's the solutions and here's how we can move forward. And then you kind of, like, have some steps from there that you can take away and actually make some useful changes perhaps to your life um but i also find writing the book is also me actively expressing my own thoughts and feelings about my view of the world and it helps me work through my life really effectively and efficiently um it's interesting too also because sometimes i feel like i'm uh, like I, I need to talk about it to with other people um, and I try and talk about it with as many people as possible. The book or just the topics? Just the topics, not necessarily the book, because I find it ensures I'm not completely losing myself to my own self-bias. And so yeah. I try and talk to other people about the book to tr- try and widen my perspective and and just see if other people are actually thinking the same things I'm thinking. Because at the end of the day, if you write a book and no one actually agrees with anything you're saying, then it's not going to actually get anywhere. Like, it won't sell effectively. Yeah, there needs to... I think what the term you're looking for is relatability. There needs to be some relatability. Ironic. (laughs) Hey! (laughs) It can't be all all new ideas with no way for people to relate to it because then they're actually not going to take on any information. First of all, it'll be information overload, but secondly, if they can't relate to any of it, how are they actually going to implement these new ideas? It's kind of the same when you're learning anything, learning in school as well. It Sometimes it needs to be broken down. Yeah. And Do you find that it's helping you 
talking about these topics, it's also offering you new perspectives on the topics as well. Oh, 100%. It's definitely a, a big creative process. And when you start a chapter, you always have absolutely no idea how it's going to end up. Like every time I'm always like, where did that even all come from? And I normally have like the big idea of the chapter and I start writing it. And then like particularly with this chapter, like I've changed the title of the chapter like three or four times. It's still like around the same genre, but I keep going like, oh, that doesn't really fit now. Mm. Uh, or this is where it's kind of going. Um, and so what, what's the title you got right now for that chapter? Uh, the title of the chapter right now is The Death of God and family within Western societies. Every man needs a code. Mm. Oh, saucy. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty interesting chapter. Oh, okay. um, and I kind of like argue some reasons for religion and its purpose in society and kind of questioning why are we throwing out the baby with the bathwater? Um, Moses, if you will. <laughs> well done <laughs> yeah and so it's it's going through that process and currently um in australia we're going through what i coin as a mass exodus from religious values and i, I ironically purposely use the word exodus yeah it's like it's very clever <laughs> but um yeah something like over the last uh, three, what's, what's the word? Oh, census. That's what I'm looking at. Over the last three censuses that have occurred. I'm not sure if you can say censuses like that. I know, I was like thinking, that. is like, it is like it... cacti? <laughs> <laughs> is it like sensei? <laughs> sensei. <laughs> Over the last three censuses, which is still questionable, I feel awkward saying it. Um, like from 2011 to 2016 to 2020, that just doesn't sound like the right amount of gaps, but for some reason that's when we've had censuses. Um, we've seen a steady decline in people actually identifying as um, religious in some sense, but in particular Christian because we're a predominantly Christian-based country. You can't really say that anymore actually in some sense because we are below the threshold of the majority for being Christian. In 2016, we were. So more people were Christian in Australia than not. And now we're at like roughly 40%. In 2011, we're at 60. So we've almost seen a 10% decline with every census date. So I like if the numbers keep going in another three to four years or whenever they do the next census, um, I would suspect that we might see another 10% drop perhaps, um, which is pretty crazy and when you start thinking about what does that mean for what do we actually value as a country and what do we uphold as important? Because those are the things that religion is trying to answer. Like mm. what is actually important? Why is it important? Um, and they try and do those things with like afterlife theories and things like that. Um, and that's what's sways people's belief systems right you have something to believe in and they use a higher power to do that whereas as we move away from that i kind of argue well what are you left with and to me you're left with well if you're not answering to a higher deity to control your moral and ethical choices you're then leaving it to governmental control to dictate that because that's the only way you can systematically push an idea onto everyone else is by enforcing it by force and what are you trying to say well so okay so let's say let's say you no longer have like you no longer have a religious ethos to say it's not good to steal from your fellow man right mm -hmm. and the reason why you wouldn't steal from your fellow man is because when you die you won't get to go to heaven because you did all these poor deeds right or, or maybe karma will get you in a Hindu perspective and then you would reincarnate as something terrible. Or you remove the deity side of it and rather than having like this um, social um, 
belief system that everyone buys into, you remove that from um, the picture and then you say, well, you can't steal because I'm going to therefore force you to go to prison for the rest of your life. I have an interesting take on that. It's when we give the power, there's a good and a bad such as this, when we give the power to something external to the human race, like a god, you're less inclined to, I mean, first of all, it unites everyone to believe in this like higher power. But when you give the power to the humans to dictate other humans, that's when I think a lot of chaos ensues, a lot of like hatred for other humans. You suddenly paint this, the other humans as this person um, is enforcing rules that I don't agree with and they're punishing me for it so I hate them, all cops are pigs and you, you go down like this really bad rabbit hole whereas when it's when it is a higher power enforcing those kinds of rules, it's a lot harder for you to, uh, I guess, you're not going to hate other humans for enforcing those rules or maybe you are, depending on what kind of person you are. I just thought it was really ironic that you're wearing a Helen Back t-shirt. That's why I was laughing before. <laughs> it's like you're talking about the decline in like religious values and you're wearing a Helen Back t-shirt. It's like, eh, yeah, uh, interesting. On theme. Yeah. No, I, I, you're right. And you're right in some sense. And I, I'm obviously not saying that like if you got rid of governmental control, everything would be great because there's going to be always a smile, small minute of the population that either has like some kind of crazy mental illness or sociopaths who are willing to just do terrible things to other people. And, and you do, do need recourse for those people. So, um, but yeah, I talk about it all in the book, but what got us really interested in talking today is because eventually I start talking about divorce. I talk about birth rates, um, and marriage, I guess, in some sense as a whole. But while I was reading on different research, um, with regards to divorce, um, it was really, it was really cool to also like, I was kind of enjoying it because I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting, useful information for how I can view my own marriage and use this to better the areas in which we might have sore points in because I can now recognize that, oh, this might be occurring because of this. Um, and so I guess we're like, we'll go through some just like stats together. Mm. Um, and explore more because I think a lot of people don't talk about I think common knowledge is divorce rates are like 50% and that's it and nobody bothers to ask well why divorce rates that high what creates divorce in the first place and that's where I think a lot of answers have come through for you yeah well um one positive thing, which is like it's kind of skewed by the data, so it might actually not be true in, in some sense, is that divorce has actually been on the decline slightly. Um, however, there is also a notable decline in people getting married in the first place. Mm. So when you look at that, um, in some sense, it's telling us that there's probably a similar pattern happening and but people are just choosing not to get married who shouldn't even get married. So maybe people who are choosing to get married might actually be valuing it for the right reasons or at least closer to it, which is a positive sense that I could take from the data. Yeah. Um, what was also interesting, I think like I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure divorce in most uh, Western civilizations is like by that I just mean America and Australia really is is higher than 50%. Um, however, the, what I recall specifically was in Australia, 49% of marriages with children under the eight, under 18 end in divorce. So if you have kids in a marriage, you have a 49% like chance of likelihood to, to have a divorce, which is crazy. So it's like pretty much kids bring in an external burden or stress to the relationship. And you, in some sense, you've got a coin flip of whether you're going to make it or not by having kids. Well, yeah, it, it is a juggling act when you think about it. And most people don't have the skills to have a healthy relationship with themselves, let alone a healthy relationship with their partners, let alone a healthy relationship with their kids, and then as a whole family unit. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you're also juggling like work and things like that. And, and to me, I think what comes to mind is the, the modern 
way of a family unit, which is both parents work and the kids, you know, go off to daycare and things like that. It, it, that's a whole nother topic in itself. But I, I do understand why that statistic is that way. It is also very sad because at the end of the day, I think people stay together mostly for the kids. Like they understand how important it is for the kids to have a family unit together. And it's also sad that the the effort doesn't go in, which I know is another statistic yours kind of, but the, the effort doesn't go into, you know, put everything else aside and say, this relationship is really important to me. This family is really important to me. How can we make this work? Yeah, I would just push back on one of the statements you said. I I don't know, like I guess if you look at a glass house half full, then maybe you could be on point there. But to me, when I read 49% of people who get married, divorced due to having kids under 18, not due, but have kids under 18, the cause isn't isn't causality. Um, Sorry, correlation isn't causality there. But um, to me, it's also saying that a lot of people aren't upholding the value of sticking together because they have kids. A lot of people are just choosing to opt out. Now, um, within the data, like it also goes in and it breaks up like the uh, fundamental reasons why marriages aren't working. And because you might be thinking right now, you're like, oh, but what if they divorce because they were in some kind of violent circumstance or maybe they're under financial duress? The from the data from what I could see, the percentage of people who are actually divorcing in those circumstances is like 3 4%. Like it's very low. So most people aren't actually in that scenario where like a lot of people like to point to that extreme. They're like, but they need the – like they have to have this like out because like things are so bad, right? But a lot of people are actually divorcing um, for reasons that could – like I don't want to make it sound like divorce is a, a simple problem or solution, right? But that there there's, there are ways in which they could be avoided through being able to be taught how to be a better sociable person with your partner. It's effectively all communication, right? Like most of divorce is occurring from stemming from what seems like communication issues. Did you want to say something? No, I would just... What was the statistic on that? Cool. Let's go over it. I'll, I'll get them up. Oh, nearly oh, dropped, dropped it, Mike. Um, so... I did... I think that was something that I was going to say was, well, what about people that are in, um, you know, abusive relationships or, like, con- even just controlling relationships and they need to leave and they need to divorce? Um, it would be interesting to also see separation statistics and like how many people after separating get back together and how like, because I I think some people, if you're in a, an, like a, a, an abusive or controlling relationship and you just want to get out, then you'd probably don't want to go through divorce if the other person is even willing to sign the divorce papers. So there's like a, there's a, there's a few variables there that I'd love to look into at a later date, but let's hear what your statistics are right now. Okay. So according to the stats from the Australian government, um, communication problems accounts for 27.3% of all divorces. So just partners not being able to Either maybe they're cold shouldering each other or just not being able to vocalize whatever their needs are between each other. Mm. Or maybe they just don't even talk at all, um, which could be like a strong possibility considering the nature of the modern marriage with parents work, both working full time and kids. and People just being attached to their phones. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, phones are terrible. I uh, I try and not harp too much on about how terrible technology is because I feel like I'm just constantly grabbing a baseball bat and beating it. Can I can I just jump in with some t- statistics of a different kind here when okay. it comes to social media? I'm sorry, I'm going to beat the social media bush, if you will. Um, <laughs> this is what came to mind. Um, so I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about dopamine and dopamine is kind of like what we refer to as the reward um, I guess 
the reward center reward center of the yeah it's what it evokes pleasure so the statistics were one of of them yeah i'm just going to do the higher end ones so tobacco increases your dopamine by 150 percent from base level dopamine cocaine is over 200 percent I can't even remember what that statistic was. It was just absurd. And so like being on social media and playing quick reactive video games is right in between tobacco and cocaine. So that's to me, the higher the percentage of um, dopamine that you can get from a substance or from an activity, the higher chance that people are actually going to be addicted to it. And that is why I think sometimes people – you know, your partner could be talking to you and they're scrolling on their phone. And you just ignore them because it's more pleasurable to be on your phone. A hundred percent. And also, sorry, going to chime in here too. If you're not, if you're not having sex and you're not having that connection, which increases your dopamine by a hundred percent. Sex does. Sex yeah. does. Then like if they know that that's not on the cards, not to say that's the only reason they should talk to you, but <laughs> <laughs> but if if that intimacy and that connection in general, is not on the cards as well as sex, then like th- they're going to get their dopamine fix from their social media mm. and their communication skills. Unless they're watching videos on how to be a better communicator, <laughs> probably not going to up their communication skills. <laughs> That's actually so funny. Yeah, so back to communication skills. Nice little uh, segue there. Communication problems almost accounts for 30% of all reasons why um, ish, um, marriage breaks down. Um, the other one was 21% is due to incompatibility or drifted apart, which Ashley and I were laughing about because we were like, what the hell does that even mean? I think I was almost mad about it. And she was because effectively the way we read it was incompatibility. Incapali- I can't say it. Say incompatibility. It Thank you. Slash drifted apart uh, effectively means lack of effort in our eyes like you just stopped trying to maybe you didn't take your wife out on a date night every week or you didn't actually have like a it sounds silly to have a regimented time to sit down and have connected connected time with your partner but if you're someone who works a full-time job and so does your partner and you both get home at like 6 p.m every afternoon and then you have kids that need to be taken care of you do need literal scheduled time together to ensure that your relationship is going well if you don't a hundred percent your relationship is going to end or which brings me to my last statistic is one of you is going to find um, an outlet in a, another person outside of the relationship and so 20 percent of um, divorces occur from uh, you or your former spouse having an affair, right? And so that's that's pretty wild as well. Which when you act, when you look into why people have affairs, a hundred percent of the time it's a lack of connection of some form in relationship. So a lot of the time, and just in anecdotally in the you know the the people that we've known. It's most of the time for women been an emotional connection. They've someone else has like listened to them, has cared for them, and is giving them something that they need from their partner that they either haven't asked for communication, or they have asked <laughs> for, and the other person isn't taking it seriously. Yeah. And so sometimes it seems like an easier route. And what was that term you used? Like perceived. Um, you used it yesterday when you were writing your book. It's. It's not coming to me. I'm Come on. Perceived. No, I've got nothing. Chance of like having other partners is is a reason oh. why people also se- like separate. Uh, yeah, the perceived the perceived availability of other potential, um, I guess mates like or or options for you mm. because like if if. If something's poor going on in your relationship, um, other people. We'll actually talk about that paradigm in a moment, and this will make way more sense. But if you've got more perceived options outside of your relationship that could possibly benefit you, and things start going poor within your relationship, uh, you will feel like you have a better opportunity 
leaving the relationship than not. Which we'll talk about this later, but then it go, like goes into like biases towards your relationship. I want to jump back because you moved on pretty quickly from the incompatibility thing, that being a reason why yeah. people divorce. I was mad because I was thinking, how how is it incompatibility? How do you go from being in a relationship to marriage all the way through to divorce? And the reason be incompatibility. Mm-hmm. Like at some point you were compatible, right? So mm-hmm. I think obviously for the statistics, they probably just used that word. Maybe it was easier for people to say incompatibility as opposed to I gave up. But in in my opinion, I also, okay, let me just backtrack a bit because I'm being a bit judgmental. I also, <laughs> <laughs> I also understood, I understand the fact that people grow right? So the person that I am now is not the exact same person that Chaz met six years ago. Nope. Wednesday. <laughs> you calling me Wednesday? Because <laughs> I had black hair and I was a sad little girl. Um, <laughs> anyway, but I was cute though. Um, you distracted me. Sorry, I thought that was hilarious. Oh, so within the relationship, each time a partner grows, there feels like there can be a bit of a disconnect if the other partner also isn't growing mm. because you've kind of like in a, in a sense up-leveled. Maybe your communication skills are better or maybe you're happier and the other person is still where they were and that's, that is hard to deal with. Can I interject? You may. I also think a lot of the time like because marriage – should be such like a close process with your partner, you're a team. Everyone would describe their marriage as a team, right? They should. They should describe their – but I hear it all the time. But it's also if you're a team and one of you is like excessively growing, sometimes they're growing to compensate for your lack of growth and they're like trying to pull you along with mm, them. Yeah. And so if you're a team and like there's – there's nothing worse than having like, like if I I think immediately think to basketball when I think team, and I think if you're not surrounded by players who can play, you you play down, right? Mm. But it feels horrible playing down, or even if like the opposite team is worse than your team, you play down to their level, and so the only way you both keep growing is by growing together Mm. because you'll play up to each other's standards and you'll push you continually push each other and you should be and so if one person's done all this growth and then they look kind of looking back and they're like oh well this person's like i just want them like to see see it from my view or maybe have a new perspective or and and they're just like nah i'm happy with my six beers a night my footy and uh just crashing on the couch kind of scenario like that person's obviously going to get sick of you eventually and then like yeah so that makes sense that's as well it. so yeah that's that's where i think the incompatibility can come from at in in the same yeah you can't force other people to to grow and to change you do have to love them as they are and if they're not willing to grow and change and but you are just astronomically growing and you're enjoying you're living your best life at the end of the day leaving someone or like separating or divorcing, it may not feel so hard or, or su- such like a heavy burden because you genuinely know you feel better off um, living your best life and, and they're not the person that's allowing you to do that. Where the lack of effort for me comes in is where you you maybe you've grown a little bit and your partner hasn't and you're struggling with, you know, talking to them about a certain particular problem that's really important to you. I think most people just give up. Mm. They give up trying to have that conversation and there's just so many different ways and obviously the next step in my mind is like, okay, I'm going to learn about this. I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow my communication skills. At some point, it's it's your team, right? You you're supposed to be working together. So at some point, you doing all the work and you taking on all the load is going to be you're going to become resentful. It's going to be too much, and so you have to invite the other person in. In on a serious note, and my thought goes straight towards couples counselling, 
because that is a really safe place for both of you to be able to be completely honest. And at the end of the day, it's kind of like one of the, I think, like last straws, you know, like if you consistently show up to like three or four or five sessions and your partner just is not willing to like connect with you on any level or the therapist, then like, then yes, divorce incompatibility makes total sense. I would oddly argue that I feel like people use that far too often as the last straw as well. Like, I I feel like there's definitely a lot of value in like reaching out to a, a couple's counsellor earlier than later. Like oh, yeah. if you're hitting like a couple roadblocks and you can't get anywhere, there's nothing wrong with it. Like let's remove the stigma of it. It will help you so much. I, I Yeah, I guess I spoke of it in terms of people who don't generally think about seeking therapy mm. or like, I don't know, self-betterment then to them, therapy is the last straw. To me, I am so glad that we did couples counselling before we got married. Mm. And and I shout it from the rooftops and I recommend it to everyone. And and the atti- when I do bring it up, the attitude is, is the attitude I, the energy I get from other people is like, oh, I don't need that. I don't need that right now. Everybody needs it. Everybody fucking, every, every time you've been in an argument, you've wished there was someone there to mediate to tell this other person actually this is this is the truth of the situation. You mm. know what I mean? So don't pretend like you haven't wanted one. Me? No, no, no. Oh. I'm talking to I'm talking oh. to you. <laughs> you looked at me so like intensely in the <laughs> eyes and I was like, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday came out to play. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, I had this uh, thought pop up because I was thinking about it the other day and I, I pitched it to some of my work colleagues. I was saying how interesting it is that at one point there was no therapists, there was no counsellors and the people who looked after therapy and counselling were called confessions and it was done in some sense by the church, right? And like when you go back far enough, like the way confessions are done now is terrible. Like it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't work at all. But if you go back far enough, it was like there was a redemption quality to it. You'd come in, you'd say your misgivings for the week. You would reflect on your week with someone there who's present with you to hear you out. They'd probably provide you with some information about how you could go better. And then they would give you like a positive blessing to leave, right? And then also still to this day, um, a lot of like churches that uh, are good will sit down with people before they get married and go through effectively a marriage counseling session with a pastor or someone like that, someone who's devoted their whole life to effectively understanding how to live in the most positive way in some some sense. It doesn't even matter like how you view that but like it just the idea of that in itself is like a cool, pure idea. And so that had a place and it was free at one point. Yeah. Which to me is like so disappointing because it was like, wow, this like thing that could have helped so many people is now like getting thrown away also and slowly being just degraded by the erosion, er- erosion of society. Mm-hmm. And now you have to pay like hand over fist to just see a therapist, let alone even trying to book in with one. They're so like in demand, like to find a good one is it's relatively tough. Yeah. Um, we, so. have, we, we know of a good one. So if anybody wants to reach out and you know, wants, wants to put their hand up and wants a good one north side or is happy to travel, then for sure we'll give her details. Uh, little side note, were you there when we lear- when I learned what hand over fist actually means? Yes. Okay, good, just checking. Yeah, yeah, we watched that together. It was like a pirate term first. Yeah, yeah, for like pulling the ropes. Yeah, yeah climbing, climbing the ropes on a pirate ship and then it became a money thing and now we say it for like anything that you're striving towards. Yeah, well, that you said it in money terms. Um, so this theory that I wanted to talk about, um, which will link up to what we were trying to say before, uh, about perceived alternatives is the word I was, we were looking for. So the theory, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's not too old in, in relation to theories, like some of the theories that with, with regards to education that I think of are ancient, um, but again, it's also important to note that pretty much anything and everything you could possibly ever think of that's a human problem has been written in the book at some point. So everything's out there already. There's no real unique ideas. There's just you regurgitating stuff that's already been thought of in a more creative or maybe not creative way. <laughs> <laughs> so 
you've just yeah uh, that was a unnecessary tangent. Let's get back to the point, I'm sorry. shall we? <laughs> <laughs> so the theory is called social exchange, uh, social exchange theory to relationships, um, marital breakdown. And, marital. Sorry, marital mm-hmm. breakdown. It's martial law. And it was done by Lavinga, nineteen seventy six. And I'll read. I'll read it out verbatim is determined by a complex balance between how well each partner's expectations are met, the attractions and barriers to maintaining or dissolving the relationship, and the perceived alternatives to leaving the marital situation. So again, so that is... Can you go, can, what was the first one? Let's focus on that. So um, determined by the balance between how well each partner's expectations are met. So the expectations right. of each partner is going into the marriage... But- Let's, let's just focus on one at a time. Yeah, okay. Well, that one's probably the most interesting because we were kind of talking about that in, in relation to how crazy it is that people get married without realizing kind of what their picture of a married couple should be what, like once they're married. What their, the, the future dynamic of their relationship. Because we all have this image of what a happy marriage looks like in some sense. But well, you don't share it with your partner until after you're married. And you're like, oh, wait, our views of what a happy marriage looks like don't align. Not even not even a happy marriage. That, that, tr- that yes, that too, but just in, in general, what the expectations of being in a, in a relationship is. Sorry, I just assume happiness should come along with a good marriage. I, I yeah that, yeah I don't know if people are actually first of all visualizing their future together which they probably aren't and secondly visualizing a happy one I think they're just like trying to get through the work get through work get through work married yeah it's that extra thing on top of it now let's go back to what we were doing yeah I, maybe that's I, I I instinctively feel like that's a bit too bleak but you could be right in like a, a fair few circumstances is my alter ego Wednesday is that uh, like when I'm like really – I've realised I'm very – like can be very cynical and perceived as negative, but I feel like I'm just being a realist. Yeah, we're both pretty pretty strong realists in, in a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, which is – no, I don't mind that perspective. Yeah. Um, I think you're right in, in a lot of circumstances there that it would apply. So, yeah. So managing expectations but – there's so many ways you can go with expectations because it is to me the most important one is the the dynamic of your future who are you both going to work is that what you both want do you want a family because then if you want to both work does that actually like apply to how the family runs or how exactly is that gonna work with relation to your time schedules who's gonna do what chores in those schedules like for obviously for us you us going in I was like thinking I don't want Ashley working once we have kids that was always my idea in my head I was like when we have kids Ashley's not going to work she's going to be my cliche stay at home mum housewife kind of scenario and that's just like to me um epic it like oddly today it sounds misogynistic but in my mind it's like what how is that misogynistic I'm providing her with the easiest possible way to raise our children in the most timely, efficient manner in which they get exposed to a person that genuinely loves them every day, not being handed over to some stranger that it's going to cost me hand over fist again, <laughs> to pay for them to raise 30 kids. And I, there's no way I'm guaranteeing that my kid is going to get the attention that they will possibly need or the lessons that they I possibly want to instill into them, I- whereas I trust my wife to do that. Thanks. I uh, where I think people get on guard and label it misogynistic is is honestly I think is a communication problem. I think people don't understand that people are allowed to have expectations and certain wants and desires, and instead people take offense to it. People are so quick to react and become defensive instead of understanding that is just something that. You, that is just a dream of yours and the fact that you're also willing to provide financially for that to occur and and all the benefits you just listed at the same time and there's probably when as soon as you said that probably were people listening that were like oh, oh but it's her choice <laughs> it is my choice and that's it's also her choice to marry me as it, well it's it's well actually hang on 
take a back step. <laughs> no, it is a choice. <laughs> um, I forced her into it. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. You were talking about it's a choice. About what? To like choose to play that role. It is a choice. It's a, Yeah, well, first of all, it's a choice for me to stay, right? That could be the incompatibility portion. If I really wanted to work full-time, which who the fuck does? Um, <laughs> let's be real. That's what I don't understand. Yeah. Like, like, culturally, they push that. Like- okay, let me explain that. So the problem there that I think sometimes men who get defensive about having that standpoint don't understand is that we want to have freedom of choice, that's something that like our grandparents or our great grandparents didn't necessarily get. And so to have that freedom to be like, actually, I do, I really do want to have this amazing career or whatever it is, then that also needs to be taken into account. And that's why you need to be able to have those conversations. And if you can't have those conversations, go to a couples counsellor. But that also happens to align with what I would love my 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 whole life I've wanted to be a mum like Mm. I've just wanted to that to be my just to to be a great mum and so that really aligns with what I want at the same time just because you want me to be a full-time mum doesn't mean that you don't want me to pursue my little business ventures I shouldn't say little my business ventures there's when you say I want you to be a a mum there's no part of you that would squash me for wanting to continue to do beauty therapy mm. on the side or to continue to have coaching clients. Like you understand and that's where I think people get a bit misled as they think it's a bit controlling to say you're going to be a stay-at-home mom, you're going to be a housewife. Yes, but it's also, and this is kind of the biggest, this biggest point about this is going into the marriage you want to kind of identify what are the expectations of what that marriage looks like first before you go into it. Because yeah. if you marry, marry this person and then you realize you have these expectations but they have the opposite expectations, you're going to end in divorce for sure because your, your picture doesn't line up. And they're like people, again, the whole re- reason why so many people followed religion for so long is because they 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 love to believe in something. Like belief is such a human humanistic thing you have you have to have it it gives you hope it gives you purpose it gives you want and so like those pictures do actually matter in some sense and if that picture is just like continuously not being fulfilled then it's like effectively like being spat in your face about your dreams Mm. in some sense it and it is true that you can love someone and it, I think it is true you can love someone and it just not work out if you do have those different expectations. For or sure. If there's – you can have different expectations, but if you can mediate them and both compromise, then I think there's definitely hope. Yeah, yeah you've for definitely sure. got a crack then. But, yeah, it, it'll still be, like, definitely a divide. And what your your biggest thing then is is to ensure that you don't build resentment about the differences because mm. those differences will constantly pop up mm. and bite you and you've got to ma- make sure you manage yourself to not let that turn into something that's that's effectively evil. Yeah, or manage the team Yeah, as well. So, um, yeah. And what was the next? So the next one was attractions and barriers to maintaining or dissolving the relationship. And so you're going to have a whole host of things that you do find attractive in your partner. And a lot of the time, we're not even good at knowing like what we find attractive ourselves personally. So um, establishing what you find attractive about your partner and then letting them know so that way they can actually like act in a certain way from time to time to like build that attraction build that between up. you yeah like that's, have fun with it yeah that's called loving someone right doing something out of a selfless act for the other person yeah and so um finding those things and then also being aware of what are the things that are actually going to make your partner shut down the barriers um whether and then maybe it's like a financial thing or maybe it's a, a chores thing and it's just like a certain area of the house needs to be cleaned for them to feel like they can think properly. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just the ensuring that the kids go to bed at the right time and that will give them like a clear mind. I, I don't know. I'm just spitballing. But I, the way I read that was the attractions and barriers to staying together or to breaking up. 
So like the attractions to leaving, like what are the attractions of leaving? What What's the attractive qualities about leaving? And what is also the barriers to leaving? So maybe you have kids and you feel like you can't leave or there's barriers in terms of like financial barriers and things like that, which we kind of talked about last episode about mm. like people fearing uh, depending on one another and that being, you know, what if what if I need to leave at some point? And if you go in thinking that, like we said last episode, it's probably not going to work out. Mm. And what was the next point? The very last one is the one that talks about um, perceived alternatives um, outside of your marriage. So oh. whether you feel like there's um, options for you to move on in, or the grass is greener on the other side and leave your marriage because you have these opportunities with other people. And so the more of those opportunities you think you have, the more likelihood you are to leave the marriage or do something silly and cause the marriage to dissolve. Mm-hmm. And Chaz has heard me say this a million times, but whenever I hear the term grass is greener, I always counteract that with the grass is greener where you water it. Mm-hmm. So if you're not watering your the garden of your relationship, then the, the grass isn't going to be greener there. But if you're watering the attention and affection of another person, of course that grass is going to seem greener. And that can even be like a, a microcosm of watering someone else's grass is just like liking other people's photos on social media, right? Mm. Like you are like intentionally giving love to other people. Yeah. And we're like not made to sit there and just be exposed to thousands of people on our feed and just like give out these hits to everyone else. And even just like partaking in someone else's life on social media, like just following a heap of people, is you like in some sense participating in that life and watering it mm-hmm. in a weird way, right? Like not 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 actually, but like in your mind you kind of are. I like uh, to me it's just like another reason to just like delete Instagram, get rid of Facebook, like just or just like somehow curate your feed so it's like things that you enjoy and not being exposed to all the things that people are trying to expose to you. I think I've said this before. You're, I'm, I'm nodding in agreement with Chaz, by the way, but I think I've said this before. One of the first things I take some of my coaching clients through who have issues with like confidence and security or they're feeling a bit sad is unfollowing a bunch of people on Instagram. Who are the people that trigger you into this state of sadness or this state of insecurity and and shamelessly unfollowing them because at the end of the day you're it's the funny thing about social media is you're choosing what you're subjecting yourself to so don't feel like you have this loyalty or need to follow these people like you you don't even know them (laughs) (laughs) and even the ones you do know if you're simply following them because you think they're attractive yeah like what grass are you watering there? You're watering the grass of uh, being attracted to other people, which is normal, but you're also... You're not supposed to be exposed to it that often. Yeah. It'll It'll just ruin... It'll ruin your just like objectification of people. Like you're objectifying. Your mind will just immediately objectify things, objectify things because you're teaching yourself to do that constantly and constantly and constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so good to get that off. Like I, I don't have Instagram. I haven't had Instagram in like ages now like it feels like maybe like seven eight months it's a bit like a time capsule you just uh, download it to post a photo and then delete it again you don't even keep it for as long as you need to see how many likes you get or anything like that no yeah i literally download it post a photo delete instantaneously i just ghost on it all the time now and but i like i when we first met i started curating my instagram feed um because like before we met like obviously single and I was following like a lot of girls and a lot of it was just because I found them attractive Mm. and same (laughs) (laughs) like we all do it right and so like I curated my feed but it still like wasn't enough yeah like it got to the point where I was like no I still feel like this has like a slight impact on my life and so like since getting rid of it um, I, I definitely feel better. I do find myself, though, scrolling on Facebook Reels. Mm. Um, my laptop just turned off, which I- is like... But my Reels are all like kind of stuff I like now, which like somehow Facebook has curated it to 
what I actually enjoy so much better. Like it's always gaming videos or it's cars, cars or it's uh, athletes, athletes um, money mindset things, a lot of mindset stuff. And it's like it's actually giving me the stuff I want to see. Mm. So I see a benefit to it, but it's still chewing up too much of my time. Do you know what though? The reason that they are curating that stuff for you, TikTok is the worst for like just giving you way too much shit you actually don't want to see. Mm. But it's because you're spending time watching or you're actively liking, i.e. watering those things that you value instead of scrolling on things that you don't value. Like I don't even, I can't even think of examples right now, but let's say girls' boobies Mm. (laughs) because you're not actively searching for them, you're not actively watching them Mm. and you're not actively liking them. Facebook is not going to bring that to the front of your screen. You're, You're not watering that grass. You're watering the grass of money mindset, athletes, cars, not even liking but just watching them as well because, yes, they do monitor that too. Yeah. So in the videos you're spending time watching is you watering that grass and do you want that grass to grow mm-hmm. or would you rather water that somewhere else? And is your partner around also scrolling on their phone? Because if they are, put down that fucking phone and water the grass of your relationship. Bitch. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Mic drop. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Um, hundred percent. I think that'd be a great place to leave it. Oh, that wasn't an attack at you, by the way. If that's what you thought, you don't scroll that often. Me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just no, the way I, you said that. I no, like, I know. You just like meant it to our whole entire audience. Yeah. And I was like, oh, poor audience. <laughs> 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 nah, I'm sure you guys uh, will make steps to uh, alleviate the scroll. <laughs> Maybe. Well, that's know. not. I'm not talking about alleviating the scroll. Yeah, but Um, watering the plant. Just, like, being actively aware of what you're watching, actively aware of what you're liking and what you're seeing and where you're watering the grass. Yeah, it's important to water yourself as well. Oh, yeah. Not just your partner. Agreed. Water yourself first, then your partner, just like the emergency aeroplane gas mask thing in the jiggies. put on your own mask Mask, first. Yeah, own mask first, then your partner. (laughs) Yeah, I like that analogy. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. That was fun. That was fun. All right. Bye.